budgeting, cash flow, and investing don't have to be scary words. The We Talk Sense podcast is here to help you learn more about money and take control of your personal finances. The We Talk Sense podcast is not a financial advisor. This podcast is made for entertainment and educational purposes only. All information shared is of a general nature and does not take into account your personal situation. You should consider whether the information is appropriate for your needs and where appropriate, seek professional advice from a financial advisor. For more information, please check out wemoney.com.au slash disclaimer. Hello, hello. It's a pleasure to be back with you for episode 24 of We Talk Sense. This is a podcast produced by WeMoney, a new Australian smart money app helping people take control of their finances. I'm Dan, your resident finance expert. And I'm Blaze, previously a millennial that lived payday to payday and was pretty shocking with money. Now I'm still a millennial, but learning a lot more about money from this show. Dan, we had two weeks off. It was a delight. How was your Easter break? My Easter break was wonderful. Thank you for asking, Blaze. Don't know if I got to anything uh, exciting. Uh, The the best thing that I probably did is binge watch some Netflix TV series. I watched uh, the whole of Snowpiercer, uh, which was pretty phenomenal, and also Dogs of Berlin. Um, I've got a thing for for German-created Netflix series like Babylon Berlin, and it did not disappoint. Um, I think that's probably going to be about not even 1% as exciting <laughs> than what you got up to. What did you do, Blaze? Well, I headed out into the bush for a week, uh, well, into the wheat belt, so four hours east of Perth here, and um, camped with a bunch of people um, in a festival slash community living experiment, which was really fun, very, very different. And it was actually really interesting because – they have a principle out there called decommodification. So when you go to this experience, there's no money. Um, you can't buy anything out there. You can't leave the festival. So the, the, pre- the premise is that you have to take everything that you need with you to survive for a week in what is essentially the desert. It's pretty hardcore conditions out there. Um, and there's no trading. There's no buying. There's no selling. There's no branding. There's no sponsorships. So going from my regular, you know, nine to five here, And uh, talking about money all the time on the podcast, which I'm obviously super passionate about, going to an environment where um, that's decommodified was a real different experience and really, really interesting to be part of. That is amazing, Blaze. Tell, um, what was your favourite part? Uh, (laughs) Um, There there were so many parts, but this wasn't my favourite part, but this is a part that I think you will appreciate, Dan. So I haven't been camping for a while, so I decided to hire a camper, but I do love my costumes and it is where a lot of my paycheck goes is into buying costumes and ridiculous outfits. (laughs) And of course, they didn't fit in the camper. So I thought, you know, I'll treat myself. I'll buy myself a nice tent, have a costume tent. So I did, I did what I'd make you proud, right? I went on Facebook Marketplace, found myself a very cheap, very good quality tent, complete with like a shade structure you know, 50 bucks down from $400 or whatever it is brand new. So I have scored big time. Get out there, setting up in the middle of the night. It's windy, it's hot, and I realised that half of the tent is missing. I didn't check it when I purchased it from Marketplace. (laughs) So I had um, 
essentially a large, it, it looks like a big <laughs> round sleeping bag filled with costumes on the ground for most of the time. So bit of a marketplace win and lose there. Win in that it was very cheap, lose in that I didn't do my due diligence and check if it worked. So, um, yeah, that was that was it. That was an interesting time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you had fun anyway, Blaze. Um I'm wondering if they go on Facebook Marketplace. Or did, you, did you message him afterwards and go, yo, where's, where's the rest of my tent? I did, I did. And you know what? They were very kind and said, sorry, we haven't used it in many years. Um, we're happy to give you the, the money back um, if you just want to drop the tent back, which is all well and good, except it's a 45-minute drive from my house. So by the time, <laughs> you know, I've gone out and come back, I don't know if it's worth it. Well, sounds like I had an adventure anyway, Blaze. Sure did. But enough of that. <laughs> Let's get into today's episode. So I'm super excited because we've talked about crypto a little bit in the news, especially with everything that was happening happening with the rise of Bitcoin and Dogecoin, 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 can't, can't even say it correctly. And today we are finally taking a proper look at cryptocurrency, which I'm very excited about because I have zero idea about really what it is and how it started and how people use it. So yeah, let's let's chat crypto. Well, Blaze, before we get into that, let's look at the news. If you aren't interested in the news or are tuning way into the future, feel free to skip ahead a few minutes and get into our chat with Nesh Syrian about crypto. Blaze, what's on the radar? Let's get the sweet stuff out of the way first. Do you know what I saw? Guess how much Australians spent over Easter on chocolate alone, Dan? I've got no idea, but I'm going to hazard to guess that our household probably contributed to a large bunch of that budget, <laughs> including uh, including my mum, who spoilt my uh, my son rotten. And I think it's going to be a pretty large number, but I'm go- I think I'm going to be shocked by it. What is it? Two hundred million dollars on chocolate, like. Oh my goodness, that is an absurd amount. I did the maths and um, I, I divided the amount of money, $200 million, by our population, which is about 26 mil at the moment, and uh, it averages about $7 per person on chocolate, which actually that's doesn't sound block. that bad. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's not that bad, but yeah, considering I think I'm a fair slice of the pie as well when it comes to personal chocolate expenditure and consumption so that that shocked me um the other thing is job maker job seeker so job seeker ended at the end of last month um and job make job maker is well underway um but yeah seeing over a million aussies who were on job keeper lose job keeper at the end of last month it'll be interesting and probably a bit scary to see what happens over the next few weeks whether people are able to keep their jobs, if people are going to be losing their jobs because their workplaces can't afford to employ them anymore. Um, yeah, I'm in- interested to see how that goes. I think so too, Blaze. I think this is the type of reckoning at the moment where a lot of the government stimulus has ended and people are now uh, getting a real sobering reality around uh, what's around the corner in terms of job prospects. You know, I think our hearts go out to everybody in the tourism sector that relies on international travel. I think most people have pivoted now or tried to pivot to domestic sort of tourism, but um, surely there is people that are affected by COVID and the lack of travel and every single other job uh, that you can probably think about. So I think the next sort of three months will be really interesting and hopefully the economy gets back on track and people get back into jobs. 
Blaze, I'm not sure if you've heard, but it feels like there's like this two-speed economy, right? Uh, property prices are going nuts. Uh, if you live in uh, Sydney, Melbourne, or even Perth, for that matter, where property prices have gone up by, you know, fifteen percent in like a few months. Crazy. I don't know where these people are getting their money from. Uh, if it is from the banks, then um, that that'll be super interesting. But I think there's also another part of the economy which is not represented in this mayhem that uh, are probably struggling. So. Hopefully, everybody finds a home in terms of a job opportunity and we get Australia back on track uh, in a post-COVID environment. Yeah, I agree. If I was looking to buy a home in this current market, the only thing I would be paying with is chocolate coins. And I don't think many <laughs> I don't think many people selling their houses are accepting that. So yeah, it is pretty crazy seeing the divide with you know people losing jobs losing hours and then just seeing the housing market skyrocket is pretty insane and i wonder if the bubble will burst if it is a bubble then what will even happen mm. tom will tell let's follow that story closely in the episodes to come let's do it all right enough of the news let's get into crypto now if you are tuning in this is part 1 next week we'll be releasing part 2 which will be a chat with david beros about crypto as well. This will be a basic understanding of crypto. So hopefully even someone like myself will be able to wrap their head around it. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Well, Dan, the time has finally come. We've been chatting about it and it's been all over the news for pretty much the entire first part of the year. And I still have pretty much zero clue of what it is. Dan, it's time to talk about cryptocurrency. Oh, my goodness, Blaze. I'm looking forward to it. I I am too. I'm a bit nervous because I have no idea. It's a whole new world, you know? It's like when you go snorkeling, you put your head under the water, you have no idea what you're about to to see or, or reveal to yourself. But um, to help us make sense of all things crypto, we have a master in all things crypto joining us today. In the past, he's founded Swiss-based fintech Bamboo Core AG, He's been a product manager at Gaming Unicorn Virtual Gaming Worlds. He's completed two prior trade sale exits in online food retail and last mile delivery in Australia and China. He speaks, invests and mentors on the intangible beauty of keeping multiple threads in resonance, specifically capital, technology and humans. He's currently an entrepreneur in residence and venture partner with Accelerating Asia, an early stage accelerator VC and he joins us now streaming in from Singapore Welcome, Nash. Nash, how are you going? Cool. Hi, Blaze, Dan. It's it's good to be here. Good to be uh, coming in from uh, Singapore. And um, thanks for the uh, the kind introduction. I guess um, I was really looking forward to talking to you guys because uh, this is a time when crypto is heating up again. Um, and it's also a time when culturally people are looking for hope. Um, so it's very dangerous for the retail side of the market. Um, and looking forward to talking to you and talking to Dan because this is when we can have discussions about how people should prepare themselves um, for this new technology, not get swept up in the hope, protect themselves as well um, because as we know, markets, particularly retail markets, when they come face-to-face with sophisticated investors, they're designed to extract capital away from one party and give it to another party. And this is the way that our economies form but we also must be aware of those um, and protect capital, as Dan will often talk about, um, and set ourselves up for the future. Nish, I love it. Uh, I know we're going to go deep today. We're going to go to the Mariana Trench of, uh, of crypto <laughs> and, and take our um, audience to the journey. 
Um, Nish, before we begin, I think for a lot of people who are listening, they probably heard the crypto, the last uh, asset run that we had in 2017, 2018. They kind of maybe heard about it then. Obviously, more recently, people have heard about Dogecoin and crypto and uh, Bitcoin. But for the person that might be listening for the very first time, what is the 101 on cryptocurrency and who are some of the biggest players? Yeah, cool. So I think for the average person, what I would say is you've got to be very self-conscious and aware when the hype cycle kicks in. So you're going to hear hear about things like Doge. You're going to hear about things like, uh, you're obviously going to hear about Bitcoin. You're going to hear about Ethereum. And then you're going to hear about these obscure coins that sit on the outskirts. It's really important to detach or disconnect yourself from the get rich quick narrative or the I'm going to get in and I'm going to get out and I'm going to make a lot of money really quickly narrative. Um, because that only works for, let's say, 1% of people. And that's almost like you're picking a lottery ticket um, or you're going to the casino. So if we can abstract away that and then we come in with a set of principles here, I'm going to explain to you what's basically underlying all of this. So Bitcoin uh, was founded quite a number of years ago now. It's probably the most preeminent protocol um, currency that is out there at the moment. Um, and what it there's been a couple of theses over the years about what role Bitcoin would play in our world. Um, so initially, people thought Bitcoin would be a currency and a means of value transfer. But the one that we're seeing right now in the world is Bitcoin as a reserve asset. So as you guys know, with monetary policy, when, an, when a government wants to stimulate an economy, they want people spending lots of money, creating lots of activity. What they will do is they will print their currency. And when they print that currency, every dollar that you hold, even in your bank account, if the interest is not sufficient to make up for how much money is being printed, it will devalue itself, which is why over generations, people have held gold, they've held property, um, they've held alternative assets that are scarce, and there's only a limited amount of them in the world, and they'll be demanded for many years. So when we're seeing companies like MicroStrategy or Tesla or even Apple is now discussing it, go and buy Bitcoin, what they're saying is we're going to buy this asset and there's only ever going to be 21 million of them in the world as long as the internet exists, as long as we have compute that is put to work. Um, and they're saying instead of holding a cash reserve, we're going to hold Bitcoin. And we're going to hold it for a long period of time because it's going to be our reserve asset rather than having cash under the bed or having a gold bar, a set of gold bars in your basement. We're going to hold Bitcoin because not only is it not going to depreciate in value, but it's going to appreciate as demand increases or that's what they're hoping for. Then you've obviously got the other iterations. So Ethereum is probably the virtual machine aspect. So Bitcoin is fairly hard to interface with if you're a general developer to build really cool products around. So Bitcoin is this reserve asset and it's always going to be there. And then you've got Ethereum, which came to fruition out of the Bitcoin community and then garnered like an incredible amount of developer action. And what that's allowing for is this infrastructure that we have of lots of people contributing compute. Can we use it to build some really cool technology that does things that we couldn't do before. Um, and so this is something that we get really excited about in finance specifically. Can we replace these floors and floors of humans sitting in cubicles with code? 
so that we can then give a better experience to the end user. The challenge is when we give all of that to the end user, there's less protections in place. So if you're an end user coming in and interfacing with this, you need to be aware of that and you need to be in charge of your own security, um, which I'm sure we'll delve into as well. Okay, Nish, I understand a little bit of that. Now, I am not the... (laughs) I am not the crypto master like yourself, so I'm going to need you to break it down a little bit more. I understand it makes sense when you say keeping it as a reserve because I can kind of understand that because it doesn't seem that transactional. Like I'm not taking a Bitcoin, whatever it looks like, to a shop and going, "Hey, can I have my skinny soy latte with three extra shots?" Like it's not. It's it doesn't. It, it makes sense in that regard. But how does it actually work when it comes to getting the Bitcoin? What does it look like? I'm imagining it's not like, you know, a pink $5 note with someone's face on it. What? How do you actually get it and transfer it? And can you actually see it? Like, how does it? How does it, that part of it work? Yeah, so there's a couple of ways you can do this. Um, and the one that I think is the most easiest, uh, the easiest way for anyone in Australia um, to do this is to interface with a regulated exchange. So Australia did something really cool where they regulated their exchange providers. So similar to the way that you sign up to, let's say, a stock trading account, and that's fairly easy. You can go online, you can put in your details, and then you can connect your bank account, and you can obviously buy stocks. You can do the same now with Bitcoin. So I'm going to speak specifically about Bitcoin because I feel as though that's the most proven technology in the space. Um, So in Australia, you can connect up, and you can go to some really great exchanges. Um, I, I actually really like Independent Reserve, um, but I do know there's a few others. Um, what I'd be looking for with my exchange is, are they insured? Um, are they regulated? Do they have a financial services license? Um, so if you're the average retail consumer getting into this, I, that's what I'd do. I'd go set up an account. I'd then transfer a little bit of money in. Money that you can afford to lose is what I would say. Um, and then just buy your first Bitcoin. Once you're there and you've bought, let's say, and this is the other thing that people need to get over. We have this thing called unit bias where we, our our ego or our greed or the way that we process numbers in the world makes us want to own one of something. You don't need Mm. to own a whole Bitcoin. We need to move away from this. This is the ego speaking. It's not us thinking about money in terms of value. It's us thinking about money in terms of units. Um, so money is only as valuable as what you can purchase with it, right? It's not the units, but it's what you can purchase with it. Um, and so that's the way you need to approach Bitcoin. So if I take, let's say $2,000, I transfer it into independent reserve and I buy $2,000 worth of Bitcoin. I'm going to have $2,000 worth of Bitcoin that's there. And as Bitcoin appreciates, I'll have more than $2,000 worth of purchasing power. If Bitcoin goes down, I'll have less than $2,000 worth of purchasing power the ability to buy something. So you will see, don't be get stuck up on buying one Bitcoin. Buy 2000, see it as buying $2,000 worth of Bitcoin. And I've got that $2,000 now sitting on the exchange. Now, if you are wanting to take the next step along, which is holding that securely on your own, like you want to trust yourself to hold that Bitcoin as opposed to have it on the exchange because we have seen exchanges hacked, but exchanges like Independent Reserve are insured uh, and they're regulated, so they give you a little bit of safety. 
The next thing I would do is I'd go out and buy a Ledger device and I'd buy a Ledger device directly from Ledger or a known retailer. Don't go out to some shady Alibaba merchant and buy a Ledger <laughs> device. Um, a gum tree <laughs> merchant device. <laughs> yeah, because the important thing here is that nobody else has replicated the private keys that are associated with that Ledger device. And so a private key this is your gateway to getting into the world of cryptocurrency. That is the thing that you control and nobody else controls that gives you access to your identity and the money that is attributable to your identity. So, you know, Blaze's $2,000 worth of Bitcoin um, is like is only accessible by Blaze. Um, so when I buy a ledger, I then go through the sign-up process, which is going to give me two things. It's going to give me a bunch of words that I need to save somewhere securely and not share with anyone. It's also going to give me a private key. Both of those things are your access point, but they're also, and this is really important, this is the number one weakness in cryptography right now. They're also your attack vector. So if somebody wanted to steal your net worth, that $2,000 that you've just put on that ledger device or that you have attributable to you, they're going to come after those things. But we know that if we can protect them, then, you know, we we own them. And so um, what you're going to do is you set up your ledger, you'll have those private keys that you store safely and securely that nobody else has access to. But in the event that you were to pass away, your loved ones know who they go and give this to to recover that or it's in a safety deposit box in at a bank that you can then go and also recover and give this to somebody that knows how to extract those private keys and get your wealth if if something that were to happen to you. Um, then once you once you're feeling comfortable with that, you can then transfer the money that is on your exchange account to that ledger device and you secure that ledger device. The cool thing about ledgers is that if Ledger specifically, there's a bunch of other security wallets that you can get, but I'm, I'm quite comfortable using my Ledger, um, is that if you were to lose that device, as long as you have your private key and you have those 12 or like 24 words, you can buy another Ledger device and you can recover your Bitcoin. So don't worry too much about the device. Um, they cost a couple of hundred bucks to buy, but as long as you have those words and those alphanumeric like strings, you can recover your Bitcoin. Um, so that's the other thing that I would say, and then just hold on to it forever <laughs> or until it appreciates so much that you want to go and recover that. Yeah. I hope that made sense. That is how I would secure it. There's plenty of really great resources out there. So in Australia, I would recommend, um, a, a guy by the name of Nuggets News. Uh, he's done some really 101 stuff. Um, he's got a great YouTube channel. Um, if you're also looking to understand private key security and a few other things, Independent Reserve has their stuff. And then there's also Binance Academy is quite good. And then you've also got Coinbase. They do a lot of education as well. Um, so there's plenty of resources out there. The number one thing I would say to people is um, approach it with a level of pessimism and optimism, equal parts pessimism as well as optimism. If you feel like you're getting ripped off, you may be getting ripped off. If this feels shady, it's it's probably shady. So approach it with that level of um, pessimism, and don't get swept up in the in the media narrative of you're going to be a millionaire overnight. Is what I would say. I know that's like a very addictive narrative to a lot of people because some of us we're uncomfortable with our lives and we're willing to jump on opportunity. 
Um, but you've, we've got to manage that when we're getting into this. Um, but for Bitcoin specifically, the fundamentals are starting to stack up as, you know, like I said, large companies are starting to add it to their balance sheets. That was that was a lot to take in there, but I think I'm going to, I'm going to play that back. Basically, you can buy uh, you can buy crypto on an exchange, uh, one that's regulated and that's insured, which I think is very important because we've had, if anybody's heard of Mt. Gox, um, there's been a few times where some of these exchanges where you buy crypto um, have actually gone out of business. And I think um, that's really important that, that, that we buy one that's insured. But also this concept of not trusting the exchange completely and then getting your crypto to become offline. And all I'm imagining is me wearing a necklace that's got um, a USB stick attached to it all the time and <laughs> <laughs> also going down. I'm not sure if my bank has got a safety deposit box anymore, but I'd imagine that's where I'd be keeping the codes. Um, it feels like a spy thriller. And to be, be amongst it, it feels, yeah, it feels like almost like we're completely changing the way that we're going about using money. And right now, I think what you've mentioned, Nesh, is that we're, we're getting to the point where it's becoming way more consumer-friendly and in the next maybe five or ten years' time, this will become so mainstream. And it's something that if you've heard the term hodling before, or H-O-D-L in capital letters, um, or just what? holding on to your... Um, yeah, maybe Nish can talk to us about where that came from, but about holding for the long term, because this is not something like one article that I've seen here of the guy that bought a pizza that was worth $200 million uh, when he uh, first had his Bitcoin. And I'm sure there's plenty of stories like this that, that people have heard about. So the um, the thing that I t- took away from you, what you just mentioned, Nesh, is that find how to buy crypto, get it safe and secure, and then hold on to it for as long as you can. Yeah, that that's the key. These markets are designed to wash out the short-term thinking, and they're designed to reward the long-term thinking and the involvement. Um, yeah, I've, I've got some interesting stories there. So one of my close friends, she had $250,000 in Mt. Gox. Um, needless to say, this was years ago. Um, What's Mt. Gox, sorry? So Mt. Gox was one of the largest exchanges to be hacked or to, you know, just go out of business. Um, and back in the early days of cryptocurrency, a lot of these exchanges, like Dan was saying, kept all of the accounts on a USB stick. Um, even BitMEX, which is a billion-dollar exchange, you've probably seen Arthur Hayes, the founder of BitMEX, in the news. They used to have similar operational security. Um, so it's important to know that. Um, but we've come a long way from there. There's obviously more institutional-grade custody solutions that resemble your bank, which has given large institutions comfort in going into this space. Um, so Fidelity um, in the US, they're heavily in this space now and a number of others. The other interesting uh, thing there is that, yes, it is somewhat archaic, but like Dan said, because the user is taking responsibility for the security and the user is taking responsibility for a lot of things, we're also benefiting a lot more. So if you think about the infrastructure of our banks and our modern financial system, we place a lot of trust in our brokers, in our financial advisors, and like all these other layers. And for each of those layers that we have to protect us, there is a cost. Um, And it's a cost that I'm willing to pay in a lot of instances. Um, But if you so choose with crypto, you can choose for that cost to become your own revenue um, if you do it in a safe manner. So I'm all for people learning how to do it in a safe manner, as long as we can detach ourselves from the, the bubble narratives, the getting rich quick 
and we approach it systematically because that is how you generate wealth. I think if I get into crypto, I'm just going to get a floppy disk because, you know, the USB is clearly not safe. And who knows how to use a floppy disk or who even has a device that's currently working that has a floppy disk reader. So if I if I learn enough today about crypto and start investing, I'll be going floppy all the way, I think. <laughs> Nash, so you can so my understanding is you can use Bitcoin as a reserve and whatnot, but why do people actually why do people care about it? Like, did someone just wake up one day and go, all right, I'm going to invent a currency. Like, can I do that? Can I go out there tomorrow and get my watercolors and paint a bunch of notes and decide that it's a currency? How did it actually come about to be? And why do people, how how do people now worldwide respect and trust that it's a, a form of currency? Yeah, that's a very, very good question. Um, so I guess I'd start with how our modern currencies developed, right? Enough people trust it as a unit of exchange and then enough people accept it. And there's enough infrastructure there that can signaling. So there's enough, you know, these, all these data points that we all view that um, encourage us to continue to trust this currency. So I'll talk about the old state of the world where Bitcoin was essentially born, and then I'll talk about the current state of the world where we're starting to see traction again. So the old state um, where we saw Bitcoin come to fruition was the global financial crisis, where the trust that we had in our institutions and our governments was questioned. Um, And so needless to say, people went, hey, we're trusting all these people and we've just lost money that we've invested in stuff that we thought was relatively safe, which unraveled because of the subprime mortgage crisis, because people were taking greater and greater risks, loading those risks on top of one another within institutions. And then subsequently, we have like a global market um, failure. So the money that you have in your bank account or the money that you had invested in your superannuation wasn't worth as much anymore. So Bitcoin was kind of born of that that era of thinking and also born of the era of the original cypherpunks where they were thinking, you know, people need to be responsible for their security and there's all these benefits that kind of come from that. So it's like part idealism, part, you know, social reform um, and part just like sticking it to the man. <laughs> um, so cool, and- cyberpunks. <laughs> Um, and so there's a couple of the original cypherpunks still in the crypto space. So there's, if you're on Twitter, follow a guy by the name of Adam Back, um, who's an amazing cryptographer and always has like this real cutting sort of, um, these cutting tweets that talk to, you know, the social narrative. So what happens there is Bitcoin is released. People start mining it. Um, and gradually people start going, Hey, there's this reserve asset and there's this thing that can be traded among us, us nerds. Um, or us people that believe that we can create a better financial system. And you've got to understand that these people at the start, what they're doing is they're taking a really long-term view. So there was lecturers at MIT that got a bunch of Bitcoin. There was, um, you know, just hackers in their, in their garages, you know, starting to use it. And some of the early people that really saw a benefit in this of a transaction that cannot be reversed by, let's say, a credit card provider or a bank was gamers. So gamers were trading virtual assets and they were like, hey, every time I trade somebody my virtual asset, they could always charge me back on the credit card and then I don't make the money and they've got my virtual asset. So gamers started Mm -hmm. using it. And there was a bunch of other transactions that also said, hey, Bitcoin is more functional than our current financial infrastructure because two people can just agree and transfer people money 
and we don't necessarily need to come into the purview of the government. Um, and also there's this, this way that things can't be charged back to me. So it starts to get this momentum as a result of that within the fringes. So all technology kind of forms in the fringes and then kind of takes over. Um, this is one of the reasons why I like WeMoney as well. You guys have like this tight-knit community and it's forming like this revolution in the fringes that eventually takes over the, the general infrastructure. And so that's how Bitcoin forms. And then if we look at the modern era now, people are going, hey, all of our nations around the world are going to print money. That is the way that our governments know to stimulate um, the economy. And any of us that is holding a cash reserve that is way too much right now, we know that we're going to get negative interest rate on that in the coming years. And so people are like, do I put my balance sheet all in gold? Because gold's kind of underperforming at the moment and I'm a technology investor and I believe where the internet is going. And so now you're seeing these people and we, um, me and my partner, were talking to our financial planner the other week in Europe. And he was like, yeah, I can put it in this cash account and it's going to, it's going to generate um, a couple of percent. And both of us know the narrative that's going on. We were like, no, it's not. If you're holding mm -hmm. cash, it's going to go, it's going to go negative very soon. And so Bitcoin in the current era, the reserve asset narrative gains its momentum because of what governments are going to need to do to stimulate our economies back up post COVID. So that's how it gains, gains its momentum. Enough people holding it, enough people believing in it, enough people accepting it, and governments starting to regulate it is an important building block. So right now, where the Australian government has regulated exchanges, where the US government is starting to talk about this, these aren't negative things. These are great things. And the example that I would look towards is Gemini Exchange, which was started by the Winklevoss twins, who are also, um, and I'll say this, uh, it's a bit, uh, it's going to be a bit contentious. <laughs> the founders of Facebook. <laughs> um, so if, so the Winklevoss twins went into Bitcoin really heavy, um, really early. They founded Gemini Exchange. They've been working with regulators in New York. They've been working with regulators in Singapore. Um, and they've got Gemini Exchange, which is now um, one of the main exchanges that I use in Singapore. Um, and, you know, they're, they're going, hey, how can government get involved here? So we're seeing not this be an outskirts fringe thing anymore, similar to the communities that you're part of that are focused on financial wizardry, you know, people gaining <laughs> mastery of their circumstance. It's no longer on the fringes. It's now moving its way into the mainstream where the companies, the private companies have moved to put it on their balance sheets. Then now what we'll see is government start to go, hey, a lot of our voting populace and the people that pay taxes are in this. So how do we also stay in this? But how do we continue to maintain why people vote for us, which is to keep them safe? That's amazing, Nesh. Um, if I summarise <laughs> that again, I think I think what we're sort of seeing is a revolution amongst people who um, who see all the success of money printing. So for money printing, for people who don't know what that is, it's basically the government's just adding more zeros to the national account of the money that exists. And the more money that there is in a system, then the more likely that that may lead to in the future of things called inflation, which reduces your the value of your assets. So when there's more money chasing the same amount of assets, you're likely going to uh, get inflation. Uh, a lot of listeners to our podcast are probably weren't around the, in the early 1990s, but for those who were, Australia had 14 to 15% rates of interest. So you were earning literally 15 what? to 16 percent 
on your money when you put it into the bank. But also conversely, you are paying the similar rate on your mortgage. And these are things that I think our generation hasn't gone through before, which is you know, completely mind-blowing. And um, Nesh, to summarize what you've just said, crypto is like a hedge against what potentially might happen in the future where all this money that's been printed for the last 10 years in the global financial crisis when all the big banks failed in the US uh, and all these governments. And the thing I've, I've heard on the Twitter sphere is this little soundbite called Brrr, of uh, the sound of a money machine is printing money. <laughs> and that, that sort of meme culture getting in there. There's a lot of people actually aware that, geez, yeah. like if my if the money, the dollars that I've got in my bank account are going to be worth less in the future, how do I protect myself? And it feels like the, the, the cypher punks that you talked about are now engaging into Bitcoin and the cryptocurrencies to bring this era of this new financial order, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah. So the other thing I would say to your listeners as well, Dan, like it's um, crypto, we can't just lump together anymore. So something that helped me understand this is understand Bitcoin as a reserve asset. Um, Don't just lump it in with crypto. And then we have, you know, smart contract platforms like Ethereum. And then we have these DeFi um, or decentralized finance tools that are starting to emerge. So don't, when you're thinking about crypto as an asset class, divide it up. Um, so a good book to start with would be Crypto Assets by Chris Berniski. And he lays out a plan in there to put 1% of your total portfolio in Bitcoin and how you would outperform. And he simulates how you would outperform with just, just 1% exposure. So it's taking these asymmetric opportunities for upside um, and limited downside. Wow. I'm not sure if you guys can hear, but this is my brain trying to understand everything that we've just gone over today. Can you hear that? It's just ticking away like that cash machine trying to make sense of it all. (laughs) Nesh, thank you so much for joining us today. I think what I'm taking away from this is that you don't have to buy a full coin. You can buy a little slice of the pie. We have to get away from the buying a whole of one thing. Um, Bitcoin will outperform cash. There are different ways to store it securely and it's something that is the future that is now becoming slowly becoming regulated in the market so it will become more and more a part of our lives. Is that a basic understanding that I've got there or am I still forgetting? <laughs> That's totally it. And remember that for that upside, you've got to look after yourself. That's like the critical component here. So um, if, if your listeners are looking to get into this, make sure they understand the security side um, or they should understand the security side themselves and take full ownership of that because um, it's not the market's job to get them rich. It's their job to get them rich by securing the right knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nesh. That that was very enlightening and it's nice to have an understanding of what crypto is and not just see it in the news, Dogecoin and Bitcoin and the prices changing. So Really appreciate you joining us today and taking the time to walk through all of that. Now, Nash, if our listeners want to find out more about you, where would they go? Yeah, so um, you can catch me on LinkedIn. So it's Nash Surian um, and you'll find me there. And you can also catch me on Twitter. So um, it's Nash underscore S um, on Twitter um, and you'll find me there as well. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of where like the crypto space is moving. So we're mostly on Twitter. We're mostly across Discord channels and Telegram. <laughs> All right, beautiful. Well, Nesh, I will chuck those links in the show notes. So if anyone would like to get in touch with Nesh, that's how. 
And Nesh, thank you so much for joining us today and for blowing my brains on crypto. I really appreciate it. We loved having you on the show. No worries. Thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> Thanks, Nesh. We Talk Sense is a podcast produced by We Money. We Money is an Australian smart money app that helps you manage your finances better. Now, Dan, you are a We Money user. What is something you've seen in the We Money app or in the We Money community feature lately? Blaze, one thing that got me a little overwhelmed a few days ago was going to the community. And uh, for those people who aren't aware, We Money recently released a new goals feature, which allows you to track and monitor a goal. So if you want to save up for, say, a housing deposit, an emergency fund, you can track that all in the app right now. And some really cool features in there where you can do things like putting a photo of your goal. Say if you're wanting to save for a car deposit and you want to buy a new car, you can put the photo of that car in the background to keep you motivated to help reach your goals. And one thing that I completely did not expect to see in the WeMoney community, Blaze, which really caught me by surprise but was just so overwhelming, is a member talking about a goal of saving up for IVF treatment. And that was such a personal mm. story to share and they were using uh, the WeMoney goals feature to share that inside the WeMoney community, which I thought was a doubly bonus um, cool thing to see. But the fact that people are you know, sharing some of their most sort of personal insights and getting support from all other community members, rallying behind them to help them um, do things like start a family is just amazing. And uh, it really sort of caught me aback when I was sort of scrolling through the feed and that just hit me in the face. And uh, it made me feel really awesome about helping people on that journey uh, and then also what we're doing as a team here to, to help support that. But yeah, Blaze, what about you? What, what have you seen? I was going to mention goals as well, actually. So I have set my own goals within the app. Um, first one is building up an emergency fund. Um, and then one is a adventure fund because I can't wait to go on another holiday. Um, <laughs> but also in the community feature, uh, one of our members posted their goals for April. And, you know, there's was, I think it was side hustle $500, um, add $1,000 to their saving for a car fund and decluttering 20 items around the house. And I just thought that was really awesome because, you know, okay, side hustling $500 is, for me, that would be a bit of a task, I think. But this mm. is a member that I know is super proactive and loves side hustling. So that's awesome. It's just cool seeing someone make smaller goals that they can achieve each and every month to keep themselves on track and to really work towards their financial goals. So I really like the accountability of seeing that in the community feed and seeing her updates as she goes along to achieve that. But if you want to check out the We Money community, set your own goals, or just get a feel of your financial health, I highly encourage you to download the We Money app. It's completely free. And if you use the code word podcast, when you download, you'll get a $5 bonus on sign up just for signing up and connecting an account. So it's very much worth the try and you can download it for free from the Apple or Google Play stores. Thanks for tuning in to We Talk Sense. If you want to get in touch with us, feel free to reach us on Instagram at our handle GetWeMoney. And if you like the podcast, give us a review on Apple Podcasts to help other people find the show. Yes, please give us a review. That is super helpful and helps us to know that you're liking the show and helps others to find it. So we would really appreciate that. We'll be back next week for Crypto Part 2. So we'll be looking at decentralized finance and understanding a little bit more about crypto. So if you're ready to jump in for round two, we'll be back next Monday, joined by our special guest, David Biros. Until then, you have a lovely week and can't wait to see you next time. Arrivederci. <laughs> Goodbye.